As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Late night Midnight on the interstate I didn't feel so great Until I saw the city Welcome back to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. I am coming to you from Palm Beach, Florida, where I'm here with Pierre LeBron covering the GM's meetings. I'm gathering a bunch of stuff for stories that you'll see in the next coming week, in the next couple weeks, and uh, helping Pierre with the uh, news of the GM's meetings. And uh, he's doing the heavy lifting. I'm just sort of uh, grabbing GM's and doing avails, but mostly uh, gathering stuff for future stories that hopefully you will enjoy. Um, if you're not an athletic subscriber, now is the time to get it in the athletic.com slash straight from the source. Still has the promotion for a buck a month for six months. A buck a month for six months if you go to the athletic.com slash straight from the source. And man, uh, you know, obviously Minnesota Wild. Um, made tons and tons and tons of news uh, the last couple of weeks with the trade deadline, adding guys like Tyson Jost and Nicholas Delorier, uh, Jake Middleton, and of course, Mark andre Fleury. And we've had so many stories. In fact, in the three days, four days leading up to the trade deadline, my editor, Jake Leonard, told me that I wrote 45,000 words. So uh, 29 stories I just looked uh, that I've written in the month of March. So you have a lot of catching up to do if you haven't. But, you know, super cool uh, Cam Talbot stories and Mark andre Fleury stories, and obviously, uh, Karol Kaprizov and Matt Zuccarello and Ryan Hartman and Kevin Fiala and Joel Erickson Eck and all these guys are just on fire. Marcus Fleno all having career years. So hopefully um, everybody can uh, you know catch up to those. I think everybody will like a lot of the stories on there. My guest today, Bill Daly, the Deputy Commissioner of the National Hockey League and Elliot Friedman, the incredible uh, Sportsnet insider. Uh, we sat down, I sat with uh, Bill Daly in a suite yesterday, a uh, real quick podcast. I was, I was interviewing GMs and they grabbed me by the arm and said, hey, do you want to do the podcast now? So we sprinted up to a suite and 
sort of, uh, um, you know, uh, extemporaneously did this podcast. So that was a lot of fun. And then I'm sitting down with Elliot Friedman in just a little bit and throw, throw a lot of the nitty gritty, not just of, um, you know, uh, um, everything that's going on in the National Hockey League right now. But I, I love talking to people like Elliot about their careers, how they got to where they are. And I did that with Bill Daly as well. So hopefully enjoy, everybody enjoys the podcast. Uh, Wild absolutely on fire again right now going into today's game against the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, six in a row. Uh, they are 8-1-1 one, and one in their last 10. So that eight losses in 10 games that happened really in the month of February and early March. That seems like a long, long memory ago right now. The Wild have gotten their game back together, um, you know, playing well, beating good teams. Obviously, I missed an incredible hockey game the other night against Colorado Avalanche. I most I watched a lot of it on my phone, though, and what an exciting, exciting game where Kaprizov gets the power play goal. Um, then, obviously, Colorado strikes twice quickly in the third period. Ryan Hartman answers right away. Then uh, Wild draw a power play and 15 seconds into overtime, Kevin Fiala one times uh, beauty and continues his hot streak. So, um, you know, this is not ending here. These guys are all on, uh, you know, career years. It's just been fun to watch, entertaining hockey. And Kirill Kaprizov, could it happen tonight where he breaks or or at least ties Marion Gabrick's um, team scoring record for a single season? Possibly. He's at 81 points. Marion was at 83. And we know that uh, two games ago, Kirill Kaprizov broke Marion Gabrick's multi-point team record for a single season with 23 multi-point games. So another two points tonight, he will tie Marion Gabrick's longstanding uh, points record that was set in 2007-8. And here Kaprizov comes in after uh, after a slow start to the season where he had no goals in his first eight games. Imagine if he got it up to a red-hot start where he'd be at right now. Uh, 81 points. He's two away from tying Marion Gabrick. And as long as he stays healthy, will break Marion Gabrick's record. He's on pace for 103 points. Points last I looked. Um, how about this though? Matt Zuccarello, 48 assists. He's now two assists from tying Pierre-Marc Bouchard's long-standing uh, assist record. That, he, that is 50, set in 2007 and 8 as well. So Zuccarello, two assists from that. Heck, that could happen tonight. And then Kapril Kaprizov is now what is it? He's at 36 goals. So he has six goals from tying the team record set by Marion Gabrick and Eric Stahl. Gabrick's was also, I believe, 2007 and 8. He had 42 goals. And then Eric Stahl during his all-star season here in Minnesota, I think that was 2017-18. He had 42 goals as well. So Kirill Kaprizov already is fourth in team history with 36 goals. It's really the third most goals in team history because uh, you had Gabrick with 42, Stahl with 42, then Gabrick had a 38-goal season my first year covering the team in 2005 and six, and then Kirill Kaprizov at 36 uh, this year, and he had just recently passed Brian Ralston, who also in 2005-06, my first year, had 34 goals. What a player Brian Ralston was. Three straight 30-goal seasons for the Wild uh, back in the middle of uh, the 2000 decade. So uh, pretty cool that we're seeing Kaprizov do this, but you know, it's, it's not just that. I mean, Ryan Hartman, three goals from 30 this year. How about that? Um, just continues, you know, he, he went into a little funk. Now he's absolutely playing great again. And, um, it's just been, uh, you know, he, he just adds that element to that line too, that grit factor. You know, there are times where he looks like he might be miscast. You know, there was that one game, I think it was two games ago where he was, you know, swinging and missing in pucks and whiffing on pucks, but then he comes back and scores big goals. 
Um, you know, again, the the Greenway, uh, you know, down here at the GMs meetings, talking to a lot of GMs, it's unbelievable the amount of GMs that have come up to me and said, what a trade deadline by the wild to get bigger and tougher. Um, a lot of people think that Colorado actually, when does this ever happen, responded to the wild getting tougher by going out and adding McDermott. Um, and they, there's a lot of GMs down here that think that they're more than a dark horse, that they're a contender, that they can actually go out and win the West if they even play Colorado in the first round of, or in the third round if they ever get there, or the second round, I guess it would be, if they stay in the top of the division. Um, you know, obviously, Colorado would have to get, get through the first round as well. But, um, I, I mean, I, it's honestly been 10 GMs or 10 people from the leagues like, wow, came up to me and said, this is a fun, exciting, good team. So uh, the hype is even coming down here, and we'll see if the Wild can figure out a way um, to actually uh, do what they haven't done in my entire tenure of covering this team, and that's get one past the first round, but then past the second round. Uh, I've only covered two second-round series uh, with the Wild, one in, obviously, uh, St. Louis and one in Chicago. And um, we'll see if they can uh, figure out a way to do it. Um, it's just been a fun, fun year. I missed a fun, fun game. Judd Zolgad will be covering uh, tonight's game for me, the Score North Morning Show host. Um, he'll be at tonight's game. Longtime sports writer. When I first got to the Star Tribune, Judd was the um, was the Vikings beat writer for the Star Tribune when I got there uh, with Chip Scoggins. And um, hopefully everybody enjoyed Brian Murphy's awesome column on the game the other day. God, I was envious that he got to cover that game. Um, yeah, it just shows you. It's like, you know, you think, all right, it's going to be so cool to just get away from the team for a couple days, come down to the GM's meetings. And then, you know, still you can't not watch the game. It's just embedded in, in you know pretty much just in my blood, watching on my phone. And then the way they won that game, you're just like, God, I wish I can just write this right now. So um, hopefully everybody enjoyed that. Hopefully everybody enjoys this podcast. Elliot Friedman and Bill Daly coming up. But first, here's a word from one of our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, happy to be joined by NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. And uh, Bill, uh, this definitely does not stink. Uh, we're looking out uh, at, the, at the Atlantic Ocean. The wave is flowing. Uh, patio open, door open. And... Uh, what a beautiful hotel that we're here for the GM's meetings. Yeah, I, I uh, our annual general manager's meeting uh, is always a good one. Uh, <laughs> it's always in a very nice location, usually Florida, most recently. Uh, but we haven't met with the general managers in a long time now. It was uh, March of 2020. Crazy. Uh, last time we got together as a group. And I think Coley noted at the start of the meeting today, uh, I think there were 11 new faces at the table out of 32 clubs. So uh, that much uh, GM turnover during that time period. It's yeah. pretty remarkable. Amazing. And yeah, I remember like right before that, that GM meetings, you guys were talking about COVID. I guarantee none of us ever thought that it would get to the point where you're, you know, three, four months later, you're going to be in a bubble uh, completing the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I don't think we knew a lot at that point in time. I do know that while we were down here two years ago, uh, the IIHF announced the cancellation of, of the, uh, the under-18 tournament, uh, which is a big scouting 
tournament for for our clubs and that was making news and so uh it was uh, covid was becoming a real issue um you know we had uh, already started consulting with experts as to what to expect uh, but i don't think anybody really could have um you know predicted exactly how it played out because uh Obviously, it became a very significant issue very quickly thereafter. Yeah, how, how, I mean, you've had a lot. How many years now in the NHL for you? I, I still so, 20, 25 as yeah. of January. So, 25 plus. I still remember talking to you down in South Florida. It was like Mark Messier's thousandth game or something. And you came down there for that. And, uh, and uh, I think that might have been the first time I ever met you. So, that was, what, 20 some odd years long ago? T- yeah, a long time ago. Long time <laughs> it's ago. It's pretty crazy. Uh, um, you've had a long career. I mean, this has got to be the most trying thing that you and Gary have ever had to deal with. Um, yeah, I mean, it's tough to rank. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, Couple but yeah, I mean, I, I will say this, I, I, you know, since in the last two years, it, it feels like it's really been nonstop. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just kind of uh, dealing with one thing uh, after another, navigating all those challenges, pushing through. Uh, and I think that's the most important part of it is we've been able to push through and uh, push through successfully. Um, well, wasn't always easy, uh, you know, playing before no fans. You know, we saw some some video today on on kind of numerous issues where, you know, it was video from um, games with no fans in the building. And that was weird. Yeah. Right. Um, and it, it wasn't as much fun. Uh, but, uh, you know, we uh, pushed through it and, uh, you know, knock on wood, you know, we're going to have a full season this year with 82 games and a full playoffs. And, and hopefully uh, by next year, we'll be totally on calendar um and uh we'll go from there yeah i was uh obviously down here and i was watching highlights of the wild game yesterday and i just the fans going crazy in that building and you'd think about a year ago yeah playing no, in front I, of 2500 it's, it's been great to see as a matter of fact i think our buildings are even more electric because yep. i think the fans have missed it so much 100 percent. so it's uh it's been a great season from that uh, uh standpoint i mean we we obviously did have the blip uh where um you know fans couldn't come to games in in several canadian cities mm-hmm. there were restrictions on fans but uh even that we've pretty much turned the page on um, so hopefully uh, we can uh, keep going at uh, full capacity. Yep. Tell everybody how you, how how does one become the deputy commissioner of the National Hockey League? Like, tell how did you get started and, and to get to this uh, this point for so long? So uh, I'm a lawyer by training. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after graduating from from college, uh, went on to law school. Uh, worked in a private law firm. It was a big private law firm. Uh, that did work for professional sports leagues. So uh, they represented the, the uh, NHL, um, uh, not principally, but but uh, had represented the NHL on, on various matters in the past. They represented the NBA and they represented the NFL. So uh, early on, I was an antitrust litigator um, and uh, got involved on the sports side, um, had, a, uh, had a level of knowledge uh, about sports and, and a passion for it. Um, so I was able, like all my kind of case work was sports related, which I loved. Um, I actually got to a point at Skadden, um, Skadden Arps was the name of the firm, uh, where, you know, I didn't think I'd be going anywhere because I was, I was uh, very happy there. I, I think I was on a partnership track and, and um, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, it had to be a special opportunity to really convince me to move. Um, but that opportunity arose. Uh, Jeffrey Pash was my predecessor as general counsel of the National Hockey League. Um, he uh, was one of Gary's first hires, a direct report. 
Um, he was recruited away from the NHL by the mm -hmm. NFL by Paul Tagliabue, his former mentor. Um, and uh, there was a pretty long um, uh, interview process that Gary Bretman went through. Um, and my name came up in that process. I got to interview for the job and ultimately was, was given an offer. Um, and it was a pretty easy decision for me because mm -hmm. I, I am passionate about hockey. Hockey uh, growing up was always my favorite sport, even though it wasn't my best sport uh, <laughs> as an athlete. Or, um, but um, it, it was a dream job for me. And, and so I was one of Gary's at the time, three direct reports. Um, he now has 13 or 14. Um, but, uh, you know, from there, um, took on more responsibilities over time. And ultimately, you know, through the year long lockout in 2004, 2005, uh, kind of led those negotiations mm -hmm. and, and Gary, um, made me deputy commissioner coming out of that lockout. So July of 2005. Yeah. And then, uh, so it's been a long time. It's been, um, I guess 17 years that I've been deputy commissioner. Um, there was there was no deputy commissioner prior to me. Um, the whole actually management structure of the league has evolved over time. Mm -hmm. Gary's the first commissioner. I'm the first deputy commissioner. It used to be a president and vice presidents. So um, so uh, been a dream come true. Love yeah. love going to work every day. I'm very passionate about my job. I think, uh, you know, I feel very fortunate because not everybody loves going to work every day. Right. And you have, uh, I mean, I can't, you know, I've, I've said this to you a number of times. I mean, I can't imagine how busy your days are. I mean, you know, as you said, it just feels like the last couple of years even. I mean, it's almost like you've written more collective bargaining agreements in the way that you've had to deal with the pandemics and everything. And it just seems like it would be one, like, sleepless job. Well, it is, it is part of the fun of my job mm -hmm. is that I, I really get to do everything and anything um, that I kind of want to, you know, uh, get into. Um, Gary and I are, are good that way in terms of allocating workload and, and uh, you know, there, there are certain areas that he's probably more, he is more involved in than I am on a day-to-day -day basis. And there are more areas that I'm more involved in mm -hmm. than he is on a day-to-day -day basis. So we have a, we have a great partnership. Uh, he's been a fantastic boss, um, been a fantastic leader for the sport for a long time. And I, I, I kind of really enjoy working for him. Um, that does mean working hard. Um, but if you love what you do, um, you never work a day in your life. I think right. Willie O'Ree said that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I, uh, and you're probably on your third NHL headquarters, right? Uh, this would be the third yeah. NHL headquarters. Yeah, we just moved uh, to a new location at uh, One Manhattan West, which is on Ninth Avenue, about a block away from Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Uh, we moved there after Labor Day. Um, we were planning to make the office move, you know, two weeks after we had to shut down the sport for the pandemic. So uh, that was essentially delayed a, a year and a half before we could actually make the move. But we have gorgeous new offices, yeah. uh, very, very convenient uh, to Madison Square Garden. Um, and in an area of the city that's kind of growing and, and uh, uh, reinvigorating itself, I would say. So it's uh, it's been good on a number of levels. And, and for me, I live in New Jersey. Um, our building is right next to the entrance to the Lincoln Tunnel. It makes it very, very convenient. Actually, saves a lot of my commute. 
each day. <laughs> yeah, and it is, as you mentioned, it's beautiful. I mean, I got a full-scale yeah. tour of that building. I uh, took a picture from your office, by the way. I okay. think I sent it to you. Good. Um, <laughs> I didn't go in and rummage through your papers, I promise. But, uh, but um, you know, it, it felt like also a lot of design went into it. Like, I mean, the, the amount of meeting rooms and, uh, you know, the one Board of Governors room has, I think, 32 chairs in there. And and uh, and then the most, uh, the most improved area I saw was Department of Player Safety, where they actually have windows now. Yeah, I, you know what? I uh, I won't take any credit for the design of the new offices. I wasn't involved at all, um, but I will say that um, Craig Harnett, uh, in particular, our CFO, and and Debbie Jordan, uh, and Andy Crawford uh, of our office, both uh, all gave uh, enormous amounts of their time uh, and attention to detail in terms of designing the new office, uh, and I'm sure the commissioner had some input as well. But uh, couldn't be happier with how they come out uh it's a really first class environment i think it helps uh i think it helps employee morale uh particularly coming out of a pandemic to be mm-hmm. able to go to a nice space and and um really be proud of, of where you work yeah and you know you're in the hockey headquarters there that which is one of the biggest differences i've seen from the other offices i mean there's every nook and cranny has something to do with the league uh, all all um part of the design uh, as you mentioned um a lot of thought went into yeah. making it very hockey centric for sure yep that's cool um let's talk about the gm's meetings uh bill uh, you, uh today you just met for about uh, and i appreciate you coming up right after it uh for about eight nine hours downstairs uh first of two days in the meetings um uh, what were some of the things that you guys did discuss today um so we covered a number of hockey mostly hockey related issues uh, one of the most important things we did today is uh, kim davis and sheldon kennedy mm-hmm. um and a group of general managers um uh met with the the managers and talked about uh, diversity and inclusion and and uh, what we call uh respect hockey um training um, so it wasn't the actual training session, but it was talking about the issues uh, related to the training sessions that all the clubs will get next year. Uh, I thought that was a very valuable uh, session. lasted about an hour and 15 minutes. Um, you know, uh, Steve Mayer gave a, a report on, on events, um, on all the special events and our, our, our tentpole calendar of events, uh, including a very successful uh, Winter Classic, obviously, in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, previewing uh, how we move forward from here, including with the Stanley Cup playoffs, um, uh, plans for awards, and, and end-of-season activity. So uh, pretty pretty thorough uh, presentation. George Paros reported to the GMs on player safety department. Um, uh, Stephen Walken gave an update on officiating, um, and uh, Gary Mahar had uh, – uh, presented on 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 basically state of the game mm-hmm. uh, with some uh, with some great nuggets as he always is able to dig up. So that started the meeting. Uh, it was a it was a very long but productive day. Yeah, the um you know I mean Sheldon just came out and with Cam and I mean talked to us really eloquently and it, it feels like you guys really did a test drive of what they're going to try to do with the Winnipeg Jets and it's going to be something that will as you mentioned every team is going to uh, basically have this type of training next season. Yeah, so Winnipeg uh, jumped right on it, um, coming out of the uh, Chicago situation and, and uh, has already gone through a form of this training. We're now in the process of trying to uh, customize that training to kind of more of a hockey environment, working with the Players Association, so we can roll mm-hmm. out the training over the course of the summer um, uh, for individualized uh, uh, teams. 
um, both executive staff but also players, uh, is the ultimate objective. Right. And then tomorrow uh, will be sort of LTIR, I'm sure, on the playoffs. and, and uh, Yeah, it's a mixed match tomorrow. <laughs> you got a report from Central Registry on, on things managers need to know uh, on that front. We're going to have a health and safety report. We're going to have a legal report. We're going to have a, a CBA report, which mm -hmm. includes some of the issues you're talking about. Um, I think I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, kind of our, our relationship in the international hockey space, including mm -hmm. uh, hopefully plans for, for the next World Cup of Hockey in 2024. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about our player development agreements, including the ones we're in the process of concluding with uh, the European hockey nations. Uh, we have a new eight-year agreement that we're uh, in the process right. of executing. Um and uh, and then uh, we have a negotiation to have uh, to extend our agreement with the Canadian Hockey League as well. Um, so you know things remain busy, and uh, you know we'll try to give the the managers a sense of what's uh, on tap. Yeah, I mean the LTR situation with the playoffs. I mean that it, you know it's easy to just say all right, you know be cap compliant in the playoffs. It's not a simple thing to do, and that that seems there seems to be no perfect solution. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I think if 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 it's a problem that uh, the managers as a whole uh, feel like need, needs to be addressed, we we can't address it alone. Right. Um, we need to to um, get the players' association on board that it's a it's a problem that should be addressed. Mm -hmm. um, I do think once if if and when we get to that point, and it's it's two different steps there. Uh, including whether it's even, you know, for a majority of general managers, an issue. Because mm -hmm. I, I think over time, look, the, we've had the same rules since 2005. I'm not sure they've been abused. Um, uh, we take steps to make sure they're not abused. Um, you know, the fact that we're, you know, the, the world perceives, you know, two high-profile players to maybe fit in under this exemption um, in consecutive years might lead to, a problem, but if they're legitimate injuries, and and teams are going without those players during the regular season, um, you have to get to the playoffs to be successful in the playoffs. So, I, I I'm not sure I agree mm -hmm. that it's is as important an issue as some people perceive it to be. Uh, but I'll get a sense of the general managers tomorrow. Um, see what they think. Mm -hmm. uh, if there's a strong view in the room that this is something we should try to address, then we'll try to address it. We'll go to the Players Association. They could say, um, no, this is how we've done it uh, historically. There's no basis for you to change it unilaterally. Mm -hmm. uh, we have no interest in negotiating. You know, they don't have to negotiate midterm or in the middle of a collective bargaining agreement. Um, you know, that could very well be their answer. We'll, we'll, uh, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see if we even get to that stage. Um, obviously, the data and off situation that just happened. Do you think that will be something that you that you all address in terms of uh, no trade list actually being submitted now to Central Registry? I hope to. We've already had that conversation with the Players Association. Uh, we're in the process of drafting uh, a letter agreement, uh, which we're going to share with Players Association in short order. Uh, I would hope that's an easy uh, check in the box. Right. Um, uh, you know, it was an unfortunate situation. It was. Uh, it was unfortunate for everybody involved, um, uh, player, but also, you know, the, the teams involved. So 
to the extent we can take steps to make sure yep. that doesn't happen again, we should. Yep. And now all he does is score overtime goals for them. Right. <laughs> so at least he's yeah. gone. He's had it. a good return. For yeah, sure. yeah. No for doubt sure. about it. I liked how uh, was it then? Then said, "Welcome back to the Vegas yeah. Golden Knights." Or yeah. something. At least they have a sense of humor about yeah. it. Um, do you get to enjoy like uh, like at the end of your long day? I mean, do you actually turn on the TV and get to enjoy hockey or? Do you I do. Yeah, I do. And as a matter of fact, I live for the, you know, I live for the regular season yeah. because I love being able to kind of turn on the, the television and watch hockey every night. Um, and, you know, when you're in the off season, uh, you have that void of not being able to do that. And I yeah. enjoy other sports. So it's not like a, a void that I can't try to fill. But uh, there's nothing better than a great hockey game with the electric crowd and, yeah. and uh you know, playoff implications and like this time of year is the best time of the year. It's just, uh, just fantastic every night. Just following. Well, I was just talking about the wild. I mean, I've never, you know, I've my 27th year. I've never, ever, ever covered a team that's exciting. I mean, yeah. it's every night. Yeah. Comeback wins. And yeah, it's no, crazy. it's great. And I get to, you know, I, I, I don't, uh, I have the benefit of not being tied to necessarily one team. I can travel around. I can go to, I can see different arenas I can go to different games. Um, and you know, that being part of my job is pretty cool. Yep. You're a Dolphins guy, right? I am a Miami Dolphins <laughs> fan, yes. Yep. So uh, tell me about them this season. Are they just obviously made some news last oh, week. Big so trade. I actually, I think so far, personnel-wise, in the offseason, they've done tremendous. But, you know, that's just on paper, right? Uh -huh. we'll, see, uh, we'll see how they do. Um, you know, I wasn't, uh, be honest, I wasn't a big fan that uh, they let Brian Flores go. Yeah. Um, I thought he was, had done a, a good job uh, with the talent they had. Uh, I thought he was a really, really good NFL coach, um, uh, but uh, but I'm hearing good things about their new guy too. So we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. How do you become a Dolphin fan? It uh, goes back to uh, well before you were born, Mike. Uh, <laughs> no, 1971, longest game ever played in the NFL was a uh, Miami Dolphins Kansas City Chiefs mm -hmm. uh, game on Christmas Day, um, and my uh, my father and my uncle uh, were watching the game, um, kind of you know like you watch games like every play and they had a they had a friendly bet on the game um and asked my cousin and i both of whom were six years old at the time whether we wanted kind of a, a piece of the action my dad uh, not because he was a dolphin fan but because he had to pick one of the two teams was was with the dolphins and and my uncles with the chiefs and and uh dolphins ended up winning on a field goal and uh i got a dollar and a dollar <laughs> for a six-year-old is pretty good yeah um, they ended up going to the Super Bowl that year against Dallas and got destroyed. Uh, but but you know they were a good team. So the next year they were they're the only undefeated, un, um, un, un, unbeaten, untied team ever yeah. uh, to go through a, a full regular NFL season and and playoffs. And and then the following year they won their second Super Bowl, fifteen and two. And you know you're a seven and you're eight eight year old. You become uh, kind of hooked. And then they were a really good team actually for my entire childhood. Um, you know, they always competed for playoff bursts as long as, you know, Shula was behind, uh, you know, the bench, I guess not behind the bench in football, uh, on the sidelines, they were very, very competitive. Now, um, ever since, uh, Don left and, and, and Dan retired, uh, Dan Marino, yeah. uh, it's been a much tougher slog to be a Dolphin fan. And I feel sorry of a 23 year old son, um, who wants to be a Dolphin fan, is a Dolphin fan because he's following in my footsteps. Hasn't had a very successful uh, yeah. run as a Dolphin fan. He's yeah. like, how could I possibly be a Dolphin fan? and can't brag about it. 2004, I covered the Dolphins uh, for the Sun Sentinel during the lockout because, because uh, Panthers weren't playing. And that was the year of the Ricky Williams year. 
Oh. And yep. every day, uh, I'll, I'll never forget as long as I live. I feel like it's still the every day was the day that I was scooped. Right. I would just read what Dan Lebertard wrote about what, where Ricky Williams was in the world. And then I would follow it up for the Sun Sentinel. The next day I would read what he wrote then. And then right. I'd follow. It was the worst experience. That's funny. But the actual games, like covering that team, that was the year that Wanstead yeah. was fired. And um, uh, Jim Bates took over. Yeah. Actually, Rick Spillman was the GM. And uh, it was actually a fun team to cover. I mean, it was a uh, you know, great secondary, great yeah. offensive line it was i actually fun. thought Wanstead was a good coach yeah. but i talked to somebody recently who was like in the know and may have been on the team and said <laughs> that was the worst one of the worst coaches he's had yeah the uh well i'll tell you what the uh i mean to get fired in season that doesn't usually happen in the nfl so. yeah that's yeah uh, so so yeah um Want to just uh, you know uh, you know basically close out. I always ask whenever um, I have somebody like you on or or you know high profile media members, just like advice that you would give to young students that do want to work their way up, maybe get their foot in the door in the National Hockey League, um, become deputy commissioner one day. I mean, you know, it, it's it, I mean, I think people look at you and like, how the heck do you do it? I mean, I've, I got to think it's hard work, it's luck, it's everything. Yeah, no, I, I think the last two points you made are the best, which is uh, uh, you know I. I I do think at the end of the day, it's luck. You mm -hmm. have to be in the right place at the right time. Um, but what I do tell people is you can position yourself uh, to be in a better position to get lucky um, than uh, by doing certain things, uh, which include hard work, which include kind of networking, uh, building relationships, um, um, trying to put yourself in the right place uh, so that uh, if, if your time comes, um, you are one of the lucky ones. So uh, whether that is, you know, in, in my case, I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it was purely good fortune, but working for, for a law firm that did work for, for professional sports leagues was important to mm -hmm. me. I, I, I never would have become what I became without that experience, without uh, making those relationships. Um, you know, uh, other member organizations that you can uh, get involved with so that you can develop relationships, I think it's important. Uh, but at the end of the day, it, it comes down to your work too and mm -hmm. your work ethic and uh, working hard um, can put you in a, in a good position. Yep. Gr well, great advice. Hey, Bill, as, as always, I know you're very, very busy, uh, but I really appreciate it. Um, great setting for a podcast as well. And uh, have fun tomorrow, day two. Thank you, Mike. Yep. I appreciate you yep. having me. Thanks. That is Bill Daly. And here's a word from one of our sponsors. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, happy to be joined by Elliot Friedman, uh, the great insider, uh, the most well-dressed man on television, uh, the, definitely the most well-dressed um, like writer, that's for sure, because I consider you a writer, too, because nobody could do 32 thoughts uh, like you can. Um, I was telling you the other night, I mean, the, what always amazes me, Elliot, about your 32 thoughts is that when you read it, it's totally original content. Like, you are unearthing stuff that all of us have to then read. Uh, I, I, the great story that I always tell is I'm having dinner with Tracy Myers during the NHL awards at uh, Delmonico's in Venetian. Whenever 32 thoughts at that point, 30, 31 thoughts comes out. 
I don't know if you named it 31 Thoughts of That because Vegas was just coming in like the next day. I think it was still 30. You always skim to see if there's stuff about the wild. And then, and she's like, is there anything on the Blackhawks? I'm like, yeah, there was something at the top, but I don't remember what it was. And she opens it up and her face just turns like totally ghost white. It was when you reported that Hosa was Hosa. retiring. Yeah. And I skipped over it to just see if there was any wild news in there. And I'm like, oh, I missed the lead that she, that you broke like the biggest story in the NHL that year. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> it's funny because someone sent me a picture of Tracy, I, I guess her her look when she read it. <laughs> I think it was me because it I, was only, you, it was, I was only me at the table. Yeah, so I always felt bad about that. And I remember Mark Lazarus came up to me and he said, like, you really undersold it. You didn't put it in the headline or anything like that. And, you know, I just. I, I don't know. I I I, I, try, I try to be understated. Very, you know, the way I dress is not understated, but I try to be understated. Um, and uh, I don't know. I don't like to call a lot of attention. This is going to sound very strange because people will look at you know some of the the way I <laughs> the way I dress and some of the suits I wear and say, oh yeah, you don't like attention. I do that for fun, and yeah. I'll get to that in a second. But. Um, I, I really do like to be understated. I don't yeah. like being the center of the story. I, to be honest, Mike, I really don't like doing podcasts where I'm the subject <laughs> of it. But, you know, I, I think that one of the things I really appreciate is the audience. And if the audience is interested, then I'll do it. But um, I do like to be understated, believe it or not. It is. I mean, it is interesting because I wish I had that confidence where I could break a host of story and not put it in the headline. Like me, like I, I put in all caps breaking if they put somebody on waivers. So meaty, <laughs> meaty blog. Exactly. I like um, that. And you really write meaty blogs. Um, but, uh, you, you know, I, I we'll get to um, a lot of the, the Twitter questions in a little while. But the one thing I did want to ask you is, you know, I think a lot of people are interested on how somebody gets to the point that you get to. I mean, we, we, you know, I know that's an open subject, but to get to the top of your game for hockey night in Canada, be the considered the top insider in the game or one of the top insiders in the game. I would say one of, yeah. I mean, it is, it's, it's impressive. And I think a lot of people that love to the young people that want to get into media or young people in media, just um, say, how do I aspire to be that? How can you kind of bring everybody through your path? Sure. Um, Well, you know, I, I say when, when young people ask me about it now, uh, you know, the, the things I say to them is it's no different than any other profession. If you want to be the best hockey player, you want to be the best athlete, or you want to be the best doctor, or you want to be the best lawyer, you have to be driven to do it. And, um, you know, um, I, you know I, I think you have to be committed. Um, it's, I think with everything that's happened the last two years with the pandemic, I think a lot of people are talking, and I think it's a good thing, about work-life balance. And, uh, you know, I, I'll be 52 this year and I've started to think about that a lot more. My son's 10. Um, you know, is there a better, is there like my work life balance is, is tilted towards work. Mm-hmm. It's better than it was in terms of more family and more me time, but it's still tilted towards work. And over the last couple of years, and especially recently, I started to think about that a lot more. And but I, I would always warn people if you really want to be great at something, you have to be committed to it. And um, it's not for everybody. Like I always tell people, if you don't want to commit to the time and the energy to be the absolute best at what you do because it's not important to you, that's okay. Like if you're somebody who's, I mean, there, there's just people out there who would rather 
you know, say, I, I want more me time than I want to be the successful work time. And I don't have a single problem with that. You have to decide what's important to you. But I also tell them that that means you won't be as great at something as someone else will be or you can be. And, you know, I just tell people you have to understand that. I think you have to decide what's best for you. Um, and if you're if you're somebody who says, you know what? Like, I remember there was a, a, one, a friend of my sister's and she loves sports. This is this is going back 30 years. I was in my uh I was in my mid-20s, and I was starting to become su successful in the business. I got my first big break, and I was going somewhere. And she's like, Elliot, I love sports. I want to be a sports reporter, but I want to work 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. And I said, this is not <laughs> yeah, for you. No. This is not for you. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, the other thing I tell people is that in some ways now it's easier because Michael, when we were younger, the way to break in was you had to be hired by a paper or yeah. a TV station and they had to give you your break. Now, social media, people, like the, you look at the creators, you look at all these people that are making uh, thousands or millions on as influencers. You have a way to break in now that we never did. Mm -hmm. And I think in a lot, it, it's, I don't know if easier is the right word, but I'm gonna say it. It's easier to carve your own path now because there's are, are these other platforms and opportunities and i think it's also easier to be your own boss now doesn't mean it's not hard and not challenging but i think there's opportunities now that we didn't have yeah i agree with you there and i tell kids all the time too i mean and today i mean you go on your phone download an app and do your own podcast and even if nobody's listening it's reps mm -hmm. it's like reps with hockey right i mean you know mm -hmm. if you develop your own voice your writing voice your audio voice your tv presence i mean there's a way and also in today's day and age as you show with 32 thoughts both the podcast hockey night in canada and your written work is you have to be good at everything yeah there's no you're no longer just an on-camera person you write your own stuff if you do TV. You know, if, if you are a podcaster, I mean, you're going to probably have to write on the side as well or vice versa. I mean, it's, it, it is a multimedia world out there. I'm going to my high school uh, later today to go see my old multimedia people mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and, and talk to a class. And it, I think it is a different world now. Like when I didn't understand that when I was in high school, but I learned a little bit of everything and it got me to this point. Uh, I'm with you on this. You you have to be skilled at a lot of different things. I always tell people don't neglect writing. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of people who think if I want to go into, you know, more facial or visual media, I don't know how have to know how to write. I disagree with that. I think writing is a skill that can help you in a lot of different ways. So I always tell them not to neglect writing. Uh, but you, you, there's no like, you know, I have to tell you like I think when I retire I'm going to be a ghost. Like no one's going to find uh, an electronic trace of me. Yeah. And, but you know, right now got to do Twitter, got to do Instagram. And I have people telling me I've got to do TikTok. I'm not ready for that yet, but Same. it probably will have to happen. Yeah. It's funny. You said that I have kids all the time. It's like, are you on TikTok? I'm like, I don't really get TikTok. <laughs> I, all I know is I'll be walking in a parking lot and I'll see two kids like dancing in front of a camera. I'm like, what are they doing? If I did that when I was a kid, I'd be like, <laughs> you know, just torn to People shreds. would think you're nuts. Yeah, I know. And now it's just like a thing that you see. Um, but it is, I mean, it's, in, it, I'm with you on that. The day I retire is the day I probably disengage my Twitter. You know, it's just, you know, th that to me, like, I know what you said before about how it was almost harder back in the old days, but to me, it's now such a 24 seven job because of changed. online media. And it, there is, there's some, 
I was talking to Jeff Merrick about this yesterday in the lobby. Like, there's, it, it's an unhealthy thing, social media. Even It's not even just the haters. It's the people that just tell you you're great all the time. And suddenly you walk around thinking, yeah, I'm great all the time. And, and uh, you know, and it's just you can never, ever just turn it off. I don't, I don't have that that much people telling me I'm great all the time. Uh, uh, I disagree with that. Uh, no, it's, uh, but, well, there's some things that I've, I've really done. Um, you know, I, I don't look at my mentions very much. Uh, I leave them. I, my DMs are open because sometimes I get really good tips there. But I don't, you know, I like I don't obsess over what's there. Uh, I would really like to get into a place where I look at my phone a lot less. There, you know, there's there's no question that. Um, but I, I don't think that we're the only ones facing that. Yeah. I think if you look at everybody, what was the smartphone done? It's made us reachable 24 seven, yep. right? Like the boundaries are gone. And you have to be very disciplined to do that. And to be honest, Mike, as you know, uh, if you want to do this job right, you you can't just be, a, you have to be available a lot, a lot more than we like. Yeah. You know, look at last night, um, uh, you know, Eugene Melnick uh, died and the news came, you know, late at night. And, you know, I was out with Kyle Bacoskis and, you know, they, uh, and, uh, you know, they said, do you want to come and do like something on our news? And I said, well, I'm with Kyle. He's an Ottawa guy. Maybe we should give him the opportunity because he's there and he might have a, a better touch with it. But it was, you know, it was 11 o'clock at night and, uh, you know, you're, you're in that situation and um, it's, you go to work, yeah. you know it, you know it as well as anybody else does. You go to work and, uh, I, I like, I'm not complaining. I know the rules going in. I, I just recognize that, you know, it's not something you can turn off as much as other people can, can in some of their jobs. So I always tell young people that yeah. if you, if you, if you really want to do this, it's a, it's a big, big commitment, but understand the rules going in so it doesn't make you bitter while you're there. No doubt. And two nights ago, I was actually driving you guys back from dinner, and you and Kyle were in the talking in the car about how it, you were starting to get the sense that this was coming close yeah. with Eugene. Um, obviously, a sad story. I know that you know Eugene is one of those people that's a polarizing figure in the NHL, but he's still a, a human being. He brought that you know that franchise. Um, it's an important one in the National Hockey League, and he's going to be missed by a lot of people. Well, you know, I, I think that it's is polarizing is is a very good is 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 a very good word for it. Um, you know, he did save the Ottawa Senators at one point. Um, I, I you know when I first started hockey, I did a lot of Ottawa games, so I I was reasonably connected to the environment there. Um, you know, I, I remember them going to the 2007 Stanley Cup final. Um, I think a couple of the things I, I, I really remember well with uh, Eugene, one of them was, I think it was the 2009 playoffs. People can tell me if I got the year wrong. They played Pittsburgh in the first round, and I think they got knocked out in six games, and the sixth game was at home. And in the second intermission of that game, first or second intermission, uh, Melnick tried to get into the dressing room to, to address the team. <laughs> and, you know, he was carrying like a, a, like a box of like Caesars. And he wanted to go and address the team. And, and Brian Murray came down, who was the GM at the time, and talked him out of it. And I remember seeing that, that I remember seeing that whole scene happen, you know, right in front of me and how surreal it was. And, you know, I, I remember another year I interviewed him uh, in the pregame show of a broadcast about the Sanders. And he, he was very passionate. He's like, you know, we're, I, I feel we're going to win it all this year. And that was a year they sunk to like 27th in the <laughs> league. 
I remember people texting me like, is he insane? And he loved this. Where I think it really went wrong for him, though, there was the outdoor game, which I think was in 2017. Um, they had an outdoor game on Parliament. Uh, they, that we, the, the, it wasn't at Parliament Hill, but they had an event at Parliament Hill, and then they moved to the outdoor game in uh, at Lansdowne Park, and he threatened to move the team. Yeah. And I know the NHL was mad at him for doing that. They were really mad at him. And that was actually a really fun weekend. But I, like any, all the goodwill he built up was was blown on that day. I, I remember the reaction to that and how negative it yeah, was. Yeah, no doubt about it's it. It's going to be interesting there because I think he planned to have his two daughters take over the team. But there have been buyers circling around the Senators for a while now. And uh, I'm curious to see what the NHL is going to say about it today. Yeah, no doubt. Um you got to hang out with Louie Danny the last couple nights. I mean, uh, he is um, Minnesota royalty. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just proud of my relationship with him because he just, you know, every time you call, you just, you know, you just get off the phone laughing. You know, he's a, almost a cartoon character. How was it? Uh, I mean, uh, Jeff Merrick looked like a kid in the candy store getting to talk. And, you know, Jeff, he's such a hockey historian. It seemed like he was just in heaven. Yeah. And the, first of all, he's, Lou Nanny is, is a hilarious guy. I didn't know him uh, that well. I first met him one night at the Hockey Hall of Fame and him and David Poyle were telling me a story about when David was the general manager in uh, Washington. He made a huge deal where he traded um, uh, Ryan Walter to uh, the Montreal Canadiens in a deal that brought Rod Langway to, yeah. uh, to Washington. And as he was finishing that deal or waiting for it to close, Lou Nanny, who was the GM in Minnesota, called him. And Nanny goes, hey, David, what you up to? And Poyle says, well, I'm just about to trade for Rod Langway. He goes, you just trade for Rob Langway. He slams down the phone and tried to steal the deal. <laughs> and, they were, and they were laughing about that story. So that was the first time I met him. And uh, I didn't really know him that well. I mean, I always knew who he was. I didn't know him that well. And then you uh, you gave him my number, and every Tuesday before, I guess he has a K fan here yeah, every yeah. Tuesday afternoon. So I know on Tuesday when uh, I'm getting a call from Lou Nanny, like what's going on out there. And I, at the beginning, I used to joke, "Well, can't Russo tell you what's going on yeah, out there? Yeah. He knows what's going on out there." But I'll fill him in with a couple more things, and I, I do enjoy the conversations. And he brags about his grandson and yep. anything else he's up to, and uh, it's funny, like because on Tuesdays. Like I'm, I'm usually working like mad to get the blog done, but I do enjoy like the 15, 20 minutes I spent on the yeah, phone. With no, him. he's outstanding. And sometimes guy. I'll go check out the hit to see, you know, if he's mentioned anything I told yeah, him. Yeah, uh, and takes it for himself, I'm sure. So. <laughs> That's okay. I got no problem with that. <laughs> I should mention that uh, Elliot and I are sitting outside by the su in the sun here, palm trees in the horizon, ocean. You probably hear some music in the background. We're at the uh, GMs meetings in Palm Beach. Um, let's talk a little bit about the GMs meetings, and then I want to throw some Twitter questions um, sure. at you. Um, Obviously, uh, the big news yesterday was uh, sh um, there were three presentations that we know of or that I know of is one. Uh, George Paris uh, presented about the about player safety, Stephen Walkham about officiating and Sheldon Kennedy and Kim Davis um, about inclusion and um, respect hockey and um, and a, basically a project, a training session that they're going to do with all NHL teams next year that they started with the Winnipeg Jets this year um, to basically, you know, stemming off the Kyle Beach situation. Yeah. You know, Sheldon Kennedy. I mean, if you know anything about his history, and if you don't, I would say go go Google him and and, and see yeah. what he's been through and what he does. Um, 
you know, he's he's a remarkably upbeat guy considering some of the things that have happened. And uh, you know, I, I like to listen to what you know. One of the one of the I don't want to say best, but one of the most powerful uh, hours of te- hours of television I've watched was when that bus crash happened uh, a mm-hmm. couple of years ago in in Saskatchewan. Um, you know, Ron ron mclean had the idea we have to put sheldon kennedy on the entire that happened on a friday night and obviously our show was airing on saturday and ron mclean said we have to have sheldon kennedy on for the full pregame show which was about 40 minutes and um you know sheldon had obviously been through it in swift current he he knew you know kind of what you go through and what you try to have to do to help people put their lives together and recover and it was one of the most powerful uh hours of television i ever watched and you know i I just remember sheldon through that and i I always uh, gained a huge respect for him and and you know i i think he's gone through things that would break people and he you know he's he's refused to let that happen to him and it doesn't mean he hasn't had his challenges and hasn't gone through difficult things but he's upbeat he's positive um, he's a great advocate and, you know, I, I'm just glad that they're, they're listening to him because I think one of the things that really turned out to be, we learned in the aftermath was, um, you know, you, 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 you sometimes we wait too long. We don't address these things until mm-hmm. they happen, sadly, and you have to have safeguards in place to make sure you can stop it from getting, try to stop it before it gets as bad as it can get. And it's obvious that, you know, like a lot of industries were too late. Like there's a lot of places that could have stopped these things before they happened, but didn't. And, but at least what you can do now is try to make sure it doesn't happen again. And I'm happy to hear that, the NHL and its teams are listening to Sheldon about that. Yeah, no doubt. Um, officiating, uh, Stephen Walken put on a presentation yesterday. What's really interesting about this is that still, like, it's almost like the GMs are threatened. Do not uh, criticize uh, officiating. Like, I tried to get people talking about it yesterday, and they wanted to not touch it. Uh, the only one that did was Kyle Dubas a little bit yeah. in his post in his post session yesterday. Um but it, you know, I know, I know. We always look at it, but it just seems like right now officiating is as in- inconsistent as I remember it. Um, you know, uh, what do you think? Well, it's funny. You know, I, I follow a lot of different sports, and you know, every sport thinks their officiating is the worst <laughs> in the world. It is kind of funny that way. Um, you know, there's a couple of things. Uh, number one, there's been a lot of turnover. No, and I, I do think the players feel that, especially, I think even some of the managers who played and they span multiple generations they've i know they feel that the the level of on ice conversation with the players is is lower than it's ever been and they always felt that was important and i know some referees felt that was important that you have to have some kind of on ice feel and communication with the players uh you know, I think that one of the other things that's really happened is, and I heard that Stephen Walcom did mention this too, is that the pool of available officials is really dwindling. Yeah. Um, there's yes. a lot of people that are quitting because of abuse they suffer uh, from f- players, fans, and parents in, in minor leagues. I think that's a big part of the issue. Um, you know, I also wonder if the game's too fast. Um, I, I think that you know, one of the things that happens too is that 
you know, they talked about, George Peros apparently talked about an increase in kneeing. And we have an emphasis on hits to the head, which we should have. And as, as a result, people hit lower. And, you, you know, like, I'll tell you this, like, I probably have the same concerns as everybody else. The one thing is, like, Michael, we've been talking about this for a billion yeah. years. Like, there were some people who really got mad at me because in the aftermath of the Austin Matthews non-call against Arizona, I just threw my hands up and said, it, it's not going to change. So there's no point in getting upset about it. And people were like, well, you should be upset about it. You should be railing against it. And, you know, maybe that's true. But, um, you know, I remember in 06, um, one of the guys who hated that crackdown the most was Steve Eiserman. Mm-hmm. One of the best players ever to play the game. He, he. I remember an interview I did with him. He called it unrealistic, and I, I know a lot of players felt that they lost the ability to battle, and that ba- like legitimate battles were now being called interference. And I think there's they're not very public about it, but I think there's a very large sentiment of players and people in the game who don't want the game to be all power plays. Yeah, they don't want it. Yeah, and. Uh, does that mean there could be more and should be more? Maybe. Um, but I think there's a, a significant segment who wants the game to be decided five on five. And I know some people don't like to hear that, but I it's it's become what I think over the years, that you have to have people willing to change it, be, be a more power play game. Like what I thought, like McDavid last year in the playoffs getting no penalties called against him, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And I have argued many times that McDavid and Matthews probably are deserving of at least one extra call a game, those kinds of players. But I think there's a lot of people who do not want these games decided on yeah. by power plays. And so, and the other thing I do believe, and I, and I know people hate this take too, but I don't care, I believe it. I think the players change in the playoffs too. They are willing to do things to each other that they are not willing to do to each other in the regular season. Mm-hmm. And that is just the truth. Yep. They they turn on another switch, they do different things, and they run over each other a lot more. Yeah. The postseason play is dirtier or, or meaner than regular season yep. play, and it's not close. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I watch games every day, and I'm amazed at how many players could skate through the neutral zone with their head down now and not get hit. That Jerry Mayhew is going into the offensive zone recently against uh, Mc, uh, McBain with Chicago gets clobbered, clean hit, and he got up and he was so ticked off about it because I think he was so stunned that he yeah. got hit. And I see it daily. Like Kaprizov, you know, he does stuff in the neutral zone that years ago would have gotten his head taken off. I was talking to Doug Armstrong. He was telling me that every night him and Al McInnes will watch a game and like will hold their breath when somebody's coming through. And then all of a sudden it's like the parting of the ship. The guy's just let to go through and they you know they they suddenly calm down but it's a different it is a different game it shows you also though that you could take headshots out of the game and if yeah. you crack down on other things you could remove that too uh, you know i think that one of the things i do think that's happened i've seen evidence over the years is that like some players are still reckless and there are moments where people lose their heads mm-hmm. but i do think they do try to hit a lot cleaner i remember doing yeah. a game a couple of years ago where jamie ben could have murdered jake muzzin who was who has had his back turned and was trying to corral a puck behind the net mm-hmm. and Ben didn't do it. He peeled off. And I was doing a game last Saturday night where Milan Lucic had had Brett Kulak lined up twice in a shift. And the first time he took a different angle. He was against the boards. He took a different angle, make sure he didn't get him in the numbers, still yeah. hit him, but not in the numbers. And later it was as Kulak gave up the puck, Lucic less lightened up on mm-hmm. him or didn't do it. And so I do think subtly it's changed a lot. 
but I think when the playoffs come, it's like yeah. look out. Yeah. And 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 people say the officiating standards change in the playoffs, and maybe they do. But I still think the biggest difference in the playoffs is the players, and I, nobody's going to change my mind on that. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you, and I, I think it's. I think the game is better now because of it. I. I, I remember being in Anaheim when Paul Correa was convulsing on the ice, and, and that's just stuff I never want to see again, and I'm glad that stuff's out of the game. Yep. Um, let's quick hit on some other subjects. Um, sure. I talked to Bill Daly yesterday, He and something you've been reporting for a long time is uh, after this Dadanoff situation, It is this is not going to be a vote today with the GMs. They are being told that they the language is being drafted with the NHL and the NHLPA, and these uh, no-trade lists are going to go to Central Registry, and they're going to be put on file. Well, one thing I should clear up is, as I said, I, I might have made it sound like last Saturday that this whole thing was over. Um, I, you know, the league is not going to initiate any punishment against Ottawa, but the Golden Knights can always appeal to the commissioner for redress, mm-hmm. I guess. So we'll see if that goes anywhere. Um, uh, the, yeah, I mean, I know some players and teams and agents don't like that. It's too bad. You can't, you can't have that happen again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just too. It's just a bad luck. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, LTIR uh, playoffs. That's more complicated than it sounds. You can't just say, you know, we're going to have a cap compliant team in the playoffs. No, you can't do that because, you know, first of all, you have to bargain it with the players. But the other thing, you know, like one GM said to me, how are teams and fans going to feel if you have a like say you have a ten million dollar player who's legitimately injured mm-hmm. during the regular season and comes back for the playoffs and you acquire someone to get you in the playoffs. And then in game seven, you can't dress that player who might be one of your best players because mm-hmm. you have a cap. Like, is that what we want? And, uh, you know, I, I got to tell you, this one, I know there's some people who go crazy about the cap in the playoffs. I'm not one of them. Yeah. Whatever happens, happens. Yep. Um, last question on this, and then we'll go to Twitter questions. Um, I talked to Bill Daly about this offline for a story that I'm do- working on, but um, th- the Russian situation, um, different topic that I that actually I think Bill Daly suddenly realized that like, you know, I better get in front of here is um, I think there's a lot of GMs worried about players, Russian players going back to Russia this offseason yes. and being able to come back. Yes. I know that Bill Guerin is very worried about it. I've talked to other GMs too, but the problem is they don't, they have no, you can't just say to a player, you're not going home. Yeah. I mean, if, if, and I talked to an agent the other day that said, my clients are going home. Yeah. You know, if they have an acting work visa, they should be able to get back. Obviously, rules are different in Russia. Who knows what's going to happen when they get to that border and try to leave uh, Moscow come, you know, August. Um, but how how concerning is this? You know, from a Minnesota perspective, I think that it's a real concern. Can you imagine if they trade Fiala this offseason because they can't afford him? And now all of a sudden, Kaprizov doesn't come back. Well, I, <laughs> you know? I, think, I think there are people who are very concerned about it. They've, you know, they've been told that, to expect some concerns for the work visas. Uh, I think it's a very real issue. And I think the other reason it's a, it's a real issue, uh, Mike, is that you can't control it. It's yeah. out of your hands. Yeah. You know, these people, they're all control freaks. Yeah. So they, you know, they can't, and I understand it. It's, it's, and when you're dealing with government on anything, you have to work on their mm-hmm. pace, not yours. Yep. And so it is a big thing. And I think the other thing too, is that, I think they worry about the pressures on these players. Um, you know, this invasion does does not seem to be going very well for Russia. So I think you always worry about um, you always worry about what happens when you get back there and the stresses on them and their families. You know, Mike. The other thing I've thought about is, you know, the most vocal anti-Putin player has been Panarin. We haven't had a, heard a peep out yeah. of him. 
and that says to me that you know there's I, I think that sometimes we like to look at the world in a very north american way 100 percent. it's not yeah this is something we don't yeah. understand yeah and i think I, a lot of people yeah. opine on social media who have no idea yeah what they're talking i am a hundred percent with you these like i've gotten a, a, you know uh, annihilated by some wild fans that are upset that i have not brought this to caprisov and i do not want i don't think that we all understand that we this is care. not the united states yeah. you know like putin is liable to do anything mm -hmm. families keep them there throw these guys in jail i am you know some people are attacking uh, Kaprizov on Instagram because he hasn't taken down his picture with Putin after they won the gold medal. Could, that would be a bigger story if he did. If tomorrow he took down his picture of Putin, then you have to ask that question. I don't think he wants to deal with that type of stuff. And trust me, I know for a fact that these guys are not happy with what's going on over there. I think they're worried about it. And, and you know, the, they're human beings and they see the news of what's going on in the Ukraine. But they are, it's not up to uh, that us to sit there and put them in a position where they've got to just comment on everything and put their, their families and their lives at stake. I just think that, uh, like I said, I just don't think that we really understand. Yeah how it works over there we like to think we do yeah. but we don't yeah good 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 point um wild off season this off season huh? i mean it is going to be it's going to be, be a lot of good players yeah. out and there. i mean that not just minnesota wild i'm talking about yeah uh, it's going to be a crazy off season i think i think teams who miss the playoffs uh i think there's going to be a lot of good players on the market tight yeah. cap yeah tight cap you know there, there are some teams out there that were you know before the pandemic you know toronto was one of them who was just like, we we have a plan. We're going to be able to afford our, our people because the cap's going to grow. Well, the cap's mm -hmm. not growing. Yeah. And when teams don't do well, you watch what happens. It's going to be there's going to be a lot of good players available. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, let's see. Uh, B. Steph asks. This is a good question. You know, now that diversity, we're starting to see in the NHL that um, that you know that it is on the forefront. He wants to know when we'll see maybe more uh, women, uh, uh, people of color in officiating. Um, you know, things like that. Like I, I was actually thinking about this the other day. I think the only uh, person of color in officiating right now is uh, Shandor Alfonso, the, the linesman, and he is a freaking great linesman. Like I was like I've he's done like two or three wild games recently and um you know he's as good as there is out there and uh so steph wants to know uh, when you think that would happen i i think it's a priority mm -hmm. i mean you've, we've already seen you know teams like vancouver radically right. reshape their front office um i i absolutely like we just we briefly touched on officiating earlier i think they're looking for officials mm -hmm. good officials wherever they can find them so um you know i i i really believe that uh, it, it's a priority and you know you're seeing it on television and you're gonna you're starting to see some teams hire for it I think you're gonna see the league hire for it I think it's gonna be mm. I think it's gonna be very noticeable stuff um, question from uh, Derek wants to know how awesome is Jeff Merrick He's not very awesome at all. He's the opposite of awesome. <laughs> Andrew, He's a great work partner. He's a great host for the podcast. Yeah. How do you, you know what I always get, a, honestly, a chuckle of because, because I listen to every one of your podcasts, his analogies. Oh my God. Where does he come up with some I, of this I stuff? mean, some of the things are like, what? How did he come up with that? And some I'll Google and they don't exist. So I think he's like literally coming up with them on the fly. I have some words I make up here and there. He has entire ideas <laughs> that he makes up. 
<laughs> uh, Andrew Holland wants to know when Elliot makes a mistake on 32 Thoughts podcast, why does he only accept 24% of the blame and assigns the other 75% to Jeff and 1% to Amel? I would say this if it's a real mistake with actual consequences, I take 100% of the blame. That was a funny one because he's talking about me getting yeah. the game wrong when Zegra scored or Milano scored the Zegra goal. Uh, it's because Jeff asked a question without knowing the answer. And if you ask, a, I was always told you can never ask a question without knowing the answer. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Um, he, so on, in all seriousness from uh, Andrew, you know, he talks about how versatile broadcaster, do you hope to do summer or winter Olympics play-by-play again someday? I hope to. Uh, I was supposed to the last couple of years, but it just unfortunately didn't line up with, uh, you know, because the NHL went into August, uh, went into the summer last year, I couldn't do the summer Olympics. And again, because the NHL didn't go this year, I couldn't do the winter Olympics because my schedule is conflicted. I, I, I hope to do it again. I love the Olympics. Um, couple more questions for you, sure. and then we're going to do breakfast. Uh, uh, Wisconsin, uh, Johnson from Wisconsin wants to know your take on Kaprizov, and just do you, do you think that this is sustainable? Is this the superstar that Wild fans have been waiting for? Yes, I think, we, I think we've gone past wondering. There's a lot of Russians come over, and you're like, okay, you know, where's this going to go? Mm-hmm. Are they going to adapt? Not even Russians, but European late draft picks or free agents. This is the real deal, and I don't think anybody should be questioning it. Yeah, um, I remember at the beginning of the season. I mean, it was a leap of faith to give him nine million. You know, yeah. I mean, after fifty-five games of work, and here he is. He's about to maybe tonight against the Philadelphia Flyers at least match that uh, all-star Mar- vote at the end of the year for yeah. Kaprizov's position is going to be murder. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Wild Boys uh, wants to know if you know of any um, deadline deals that that could have happened that would have went dead. I think the most famous one that we know about, right, is the or at least maybe not that it was a deal that went dead, but definitely talked about was the toronto chicago thing that created a lot of hoopla that yes uh that pre you know uh, caused uh, kyle davidson to stand up yesterday and essentially apologize to the gms and to kyle dubas yeah I, I have i have a lot of thoughts about that i, I don't know how much i really like that yeah. to be perfectly honest um you know uh, this year this year nothing too crazy i don't think i you know, one like I was like you know, Kessel was obviously very disappointed to not to be traded. His sister did an Instagram post about it, and I think uh, I think Nashville was one of the teams that they talked to him about. Um, obviously, it didn't happen this year. No, but there you know there there have been some in the past. I mean, uh, I, I remember years ago like the Luongo one to Toronto that fell apart because they ran out of time. That was a really big one. Uh, I remember there was a Keith Kachuk deal one year, and I have to check the notes, my notes, um, that fell apart like very, very late. That one was a big one. Um, I, I, this year, I, I haven't gotten the sense. I think Vancouver had their hands in some things this year, and hope, and whether it was Besser, it was Garland, they, I think they were kind of getting along somewhere and it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And someday I'll try to figure that out. But I didn't get the sense this year there was anything too crazy that fell apart late. Like, I don't think that Chicago-Toronto trade was even remotely close to happening, right. which was why Dubas was so mad about yeah, it. Yeah, but it got out. Um, Connor wants to know, um, being a top insider, how have you had to adapt to this new media world that we are in? Well, I, like I said, uh, Connor, I, th- I think that you're you're available a lot. Um, you know, you have to... You, you know, I think I, I just think that you you're always you're always working. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that the biggest challenge the last two years, and I don't like to complain about it very much because a lot of people have bigger challenges the last two years, is that we've never really had much of an off season. Yeah. Like usually you could work from Labor Day to uh, Canada Day, July 1st, and then you could turn tune out for two months. We haven't been able to do that. And I hope this summer I'm able to refresh myself a bit. You're always available, Connor. That's, that's the way you're like, uh, remember for the twins, everyday Eddie. Yeah, uh, you're everyday Elliot. You know, yeah. you're you're you have to be available. Yeah, is, are twins your team? I can't. No, I, I'm Vikings. Okay. Are, Vikings yeah, are my that's NFL what it is. Team. I knew you were a Vikings fan. But not fanatic. twins. No. Yeah. yeah. How'd that happen? How do you become a Vikings? When fan? I was a kid, I liked the purple. Yeah. Is purple that really people it? eaters. Yeah. 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 Okay. And Chuck Foreman. I love Chuck Foreman. Now, uh, Wild Boy wants to know your favorite player growing up. My favorite player growing up was Guy Lafleur. Cool. Um, I was talking to somebody last night about Guy Lafleur too, about all the you know all those Montreal teams. Yeah, this person was talking to me too about uh, all the different practical jokes Guy Point used to <laughs> execute. Um, craziest craziest event you've ever covered? Oh wow! Um, craziest event I've ever covered. I would say that um, it wouldn't uh, the two thousand one World Series. Uh, Yankees Diamondbacks right after 9-11 I was there for President Bush throwing out the first pitch which was really an incredible event Um, when Randy Johnson came out of the bullpen in game 7 in Arizona I I think that's the loudest I ever heard a stadium they won that World Series in the bottom of the ninth in game 7 um, then they were losing the two Olympic gold medals for Canada would be up there. Uh, Usain Bolt, uh, at the Olympics interviewing him a couple times would be up there. Um, the, you know, uh, I've, I've been very, like, I'll tell you this, the, one of the ones from hockey is the 2013 Stanley cup final when, you know, Boston's leading Chicago 2-1 late in game six, and they blew it. Chicago scored twice in regulation to yep. win. I had to race down because I, I was supposed to do interviews at the ice level, and I took the elevator down with Cam Neely just as the Bruins lost the Stanley oh. Cup. And there was not a peep yeah. in that elevator. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, that, one, a- that one I remember. Yep. Um, where do you get your suits, John wants to know? <laughs> well, uh, our, our stylist is, is a woman by the name of Deb Berman. Uh, she asked me if I would be willing to take a step out of my comfort zone, and I said yes. I wouldn't have done this when I was younger. I've got a, I take myself a lot less seriously now. And uh, I like it. I, I like that the, the people on social have fun with it. I like all their tweets tearing me in half, and <laughs> they like that. Um, she, it's. I think Jack Victor is the sponsor. Um, I love. I, I love doing the different things. She's the MVP of Sportsnet. She makes me look good. That's awesome. Uh, just a couple more. Uh, Matthews. Stefan wants to know if Austin Matthews is going to be a Leaf forever. I think if the team is good, Austin Matthews resigns in Toronto. I think he wants to go down uh, as the. Uh, I think. He, I think he could go down as the greatest Maple Leaf of all time, and I think he recognizes what uh, a big deal that would be. Uh, somebody wants to know if you have any steam on where Ben Myers might sign after uh, the Gophers. You know what? I'll tell you. Someone was sending me a note uh, about that. I'll tell you what they said to me. Uh, somebody said to me that... Um, Uh, somebody said to me he thinks that Philadelphia is very interested, but the and this could be wrong. So just take this with a grain of salt. He he said to me he thinks that the front runners are Detroit and Minnesota. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, I know that Minnesota is hard after. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, you know 
That'd be. Can you imagine if he goes to Detroit? That'd be like the twentieth player that Steve Eiserman got over them. <laughs> it's just Tyler Johnson down in uh, Tampa. I mean, it's just on and on and on. Uh, last question from Dutch, um, and we talked about a little bit about you know like our sort of dream of how both you and I are starting to think about retirement. If you had another career or a new job, what would you want it to be? Um, You know, I, when I was younger, it was this or law, and mm-hmm. I always joked if I would, I'd be a lawyer and I'd be miserable. Uh, I, you know, I, I just, you know, like I said, my son's ten years old. Um, uh, you know, I, I think our our partners in this job suffer a bit because we're so distracted all the time, and it would just be something where I could, you know, have a bit more family life. Yeah. Like I've joked that I could see myself. Um, it was fine. My buddies, uh, I, like I, I worked myself like working as a barista somewhere and just enjoying life. And they said, you could never do that. And I go, okay, like, why is that? And they go, because there's going to be people walking in there and they're going to be like, wait a sec, didn't you used to be on hockey night in Canada? And I go, yeah. And they'd be like, okay, I want, and then they'd like give me ridiculous orders because they say, I, I made the guy from hockey night in Canada, give me a joke order for my coffee. <laughs> so, you know, I, like, Something simple, yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't know how much longer this is going to go on for. Um, I think, like a lot of people, uh, we've all kind of reevaluated things over the last couple of years. At some point in time, I, I think I owe my family a bit more time than I give it. Mm-hmm. So I would like to, I'd like to find something like I wouldn't, I don't mind like, uh, like I, I, there's, I read Austin Murphy, the sports writer who quit sports writing and, st- and started working it as an Amazon deliverer. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. I, like, I, I could do something like that yeah. someday, maybe. Well, you and I were talking about yesterday. I don't think either of us are above, like, ego-wise, even though somebody would uh, probably uh, contend that I have the biggest ego <laughs> north of, uh, you know, Montana. But, uh, but uh, you know, you, I could do anything. Like, I could work at a... I'd be content working at a Total Wine, uh, helping people with wine. I'd be content yeah. working at a winery. I'd be content working at a, a Starbucks. I mean, it's just... It is funny the way that, you know, you sort of you crave for you know being able to turn off your phone and uh not that not you know i know sometimes it's like woe is me when you listen it's like everybody listening would give anything to be a sports writer and all that but but there i mean there is it's it becomes mentally exhausting at times you know when you You can't ever just turn it off you know what i think actually mike i don't think about because like i said like there's a lot of people like the medical professionals had a lot worse the last two years than we have so i don't like to I think in my case, it's a realization. Like I said, I'm turning 52 this year. This is an ageist business. Mm-hmm. Like it, it ages out people. And in some ways, we're like the athletes that we cover. How many of them get to call their own shot? Yeah. Oftentimes, you're told you're not going to do this anymore. You're cut or nobody's going to sign you and you have to retire. There's very few athletes who get to say, I'm retiring on my terms. And I just look at the business that I'm in and it's uh, there's, there's, there's not a lot of people who survive into their 60s and things like that. So I think about that, like what's the next phase of my life going to be? Um, and uh, you know, I, I, I don't have a good answer for you, but I, like, in, and I don't have a lot of time to think about it, but there's been times I think about, you know, hey, like, I could be the king of queens and, and drive a UPS truck or something <laughs> like that, and I'd be perfectly happy doing that. But, that'd be, uh, cause, that'd cause be something. I don't know if I ever fully want to retire, like, retire. Yeah. But, you know, like, if I could, like, I, I've been, like, 
I've been joking, like, uh, I, could I do a job where, like that, where my son could come with me? Yeah. He could help me deliver packages or yeah. something. I would, I would love to do yeah. something. Like well, that will be a bad day when you eventually uh, deliver packages <laughs> and we don't see on Sports Night and, and Sports Night. And, and I and, promise you know, I won't kick yeah. them to your curb. Yeah, I like, know. Like, uh, but you are, um, you're the best. I mean, you know, you're so respected, not just by all the fans, but I see the way that GMs treat you. I see the way that people in the game treat you. You're so respected in the industry. You're and respected by your peers like me that to me that's the true testament of how professional you are and how good you are at your job and I think that says everything because you're in a business where you're going to piss off people and when those people still come up to you at events like this and have conversations with you I think it just shows what everybody in this game thinks of you well I, I think that first of all you're only as good as your last story and uh you know, I think that, Michael, this is an adversarial business. Mm -hmm. You know, you're reporting on things that people don't want you to report about, and you have to deliver opinions that sometimes people don't like to hear. But, I, you know, I do try to, like, I'm a human being, too. These people have families. Uh, I think a lot about, like, like I, I've seen how, like, uh, families are affected by some of the stuff that gets said about them, and I try to be sensitive to that. You're not going to make everybody happy. It's mm -hmm. not possible, but you can try to treat people properly. Yep. I do try to do that. That's awesome. Yeah. If you're only as good as your last story, my last story at the Star Tribune was a brief that Ryan Malone signed to PTO with the Wild. <laughs> that was my last story at the, and that that's, almost that will be the great good. postscript of my career. Somebody, somebody asked me once, like, who do you think is the best insider? And I said the best insider is the one who had the last big story. Yep, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Elliot, uh, thank you so much. Uh, this was awesome. And uh, here's a word from one of our sponsors. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Well, thanks to Elliot Friedman and Bill Daly for joining this week straight from the source. Very kind of them and a lot of fun to sit down with them. And hopefully you enjoyed both conversations. Big week for the Minnesota Wild ahead. They host the Philadelphia Flyers, as you know, tonight. Then close out their nine-game homestand against the Pittsburgh Penguins on Thursday night. And then finally hit the road one more time. Uh, they have a four-game trip at Carolina, at Washington, at Nashville, and at St. Louis. Um, a couple off nights since in Nashville. Uh, they're going to have a team-building uh, event there as well. So again, four game road trip and the Wild are going to really control their own destiny the rest of the way in terms of who they're going to play in the first round of the playoffs because Nashville and St. Louis are those most likely uh, competitors that they're going to play and the Wild have four road games left two each against Nashville and St. Louis. Again, Nashville and St. Louis on this road trip. Then they have a Dallas-St. Louis road trip. And then their last road game of the season is April 24th at Nashville before they come home to close out the regular season with three straight home games against Arizona, Calgary, and uh, Colorado. One's got to think they're going to be resting guys by then uh, to make sure that they don't get hurt, especially in that Colorado game. But we'll see. That's a long ways off still. Um Again, great, great podcasts always across this network. Matthew Kachuk of the Calgary Flames and Tampa Bay Lightning writer Joe Smith, the birthday boy. He just had a birthday yesterday. They are Craig Custance and Sean Gentile's guests this week on the Athletic Hockey Show USA. And then Pierre Lebrun and myself after the day two of the GM's meetings today, we'll sit down. We'll do a, a news 
uh, podcast right here from probably Poolside in the O Palm Beach in Manalapan, Florida. And we will send that off to Jeff Domet, and that will be in the uh, Wednesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show with Julian McKenzie, Sarah Sivian, and Jesse Granger. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform and leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all bonus content from our entire network this week. The Wednesday Roundtable provides the bonus content. Start with the 30-day free trial, then just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just a buck a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash straight from the source. Talk to you next week, everyone.